0: I'm Aaron Stump, and this is PLC. Welcome back, everybody. Um, I hope everyone is doing well. I wanted to release a podcast here in uh, support of the class for, um, class material for April 20th through April 24th, uh, and I wanted to release this because I want to just sort of talk, just sort of chatter without having a uh, screencast or anything like that, about the next, uh, what we're going to talk about this week, which is something called internal verification, and um, this is really kind of amazing and mind-blowing thing, and I've, I've been studying this stuff and working in research uh in this area for, gosh, like fifteen years, and uh, it's sort of I'm getting more and more of a sense for, you know, sort of the significance of this idea. Which when you when you sort of start learning about the area, you can can kind of um, maybe not quite perceive exactly what's happening. Why it's it's kind of a radical and cool thing. So anyway, um, the verification we've been doing up to now using AGDA. Uh, is sometimes, or, or fairly often, I would say, called external verification. So basically, what you do is you write a program. Here we're writing it in this pure functional programming language of Agda, which, from the point of view of just writing regular old co- code that's doing things with lists or trees, or whatever, is is quite similar to Haskell. I mean, you you could. There certainly are differences between the languages, but you know, it, it, basically, it's pretty much the same thing. Um, And then, uh, I mean, there are important differences, like in Agda, all your programs have to terminate, and all this kind of thing. But if you just look at the the code for doing a list append in Haskell and a list append in Agda, it's pretty much the same thing, okay? And then, once you've written some code, then you can write proofs about your code, and we're just gonna um, we're gonna be doing that for um, workout seven. You know, we did that a little of that in. Workout six, but that was really basic stuff with just booleans and really didn't seem you know very significant and also didn't really feel terribly like we're reasoning about programs I mean little boolean operations are programs, but they're so boring that um it's it's not really it doesn't really feel very exciting to prove anything about them. But now in workout seven, which I'm almost done with uh as of today uh, Saturday, April eighteenth when I'm releasing this. Um, it's almost. I'm almost done with Workout Seven, and there we're going to actually prove, you know, significant properties about interesting programs, and we will use induction. So um, I'll, I'll give have a screencast to walk through that a little bit later, um, you know, so that you you can see a little more about that workout when it's when it's released. But anyway, so we're writing code, and we're writing proofs about the code. And those proofs are external to the code. I mean, I've got my code sitting over here in one file, let's say, or in one, you know, area in a file. And somewhere else, I've written a proof about this code. You know, so, for example, we were doing these, um, like the one for, uh, let's see, what was that one? About list filter, like filter length, that the length of filtering a list is less than or equal to the length of a list. We did that one in a screencast last week. And um, you know. so we've written the filter function, we've written the length function, and now we write this proof completely separate from the, the code for those functions and uh, to prove something about how they behave, how they interact. Uh, and now with internal verification, so that's external verification, you write your code and then you can write whatever proofs about it that you want sort of separately from that. So, I mean, this seems like such a basic paradigm. You might wonder, like, what else could there be? And this is, and in fact, that kind of like, what else could there be? You know, when you, when you first start learning about this stuff, people kind of say, you know, oh, ta-da, look, you can do it this other way. But I don't think it's, you know, the, the importance and the, of the observation that there is this other way to do it, I, I think could be sometimes maybe lost by just kind of like, oh, you know, here it goes, here's how we do it. So the idea of internal verification is that you can kind of layer that proof that you wanted to do about your function kind of right onto the code for the function itself. So instead of having two things, a piece of code and a proof about that code, you just have one thing, kind of this composite artifact that is both code and proof about the code. And, you know, why would you... So there's a lot to say about that, and that's why I wanted to do a podcast about this, because this is a good kind of thing to just talk about in general, Without wading through lots of code and just sort of reflect on, so why would you want to maybe mush you know a proof and a program into just one thing? You say, no, wait, wait, I got you. You already told us about this. The curry howard morphism tells us that proofs are programs, right? Yeah, that's totally right. Good job, you remembered. <laughs> but um, but that's I'm actually talking about something a little different now. So, um, yes, when, I, when we talk about external verification, I say I've got my code over here, that's a program, and I've written a proof about it in some other place or, you know, whatever, separately. Um, yes, under the career of isomorphism, that proof that I wrote down is the second artifact. Yes, that is a program, and that's a very important, as you know. I've hammered away at how important that, an observation that is. That's really important uh, and powerful idea. Um, but this is now a second twist on this. It's not just saying that the proof is a program, it's saying we, in some circumstances anyway, not always, it doesn't always really work out that well or maybe it doesn't make sense in a lot of cases. But in some cases, you can actually take your two artifacts, the program and then the proof you were writing about it, and yes, the proof you wrote about it is a program. And in fact, that the fact that it's a program is, maybe, is critical here because we're going to slap these two things together. We're going to make a program-proof, you know, S'more or whatever, <laughs> something. We're going to mash them together. Okay. And why is that handy? Why, why might that be a good idea? I mean, first of all, we have to talk about how. I mean, we're well, not, first of all, but we, we should talk about sort of how can you do that? How does that even make sense? But um, the question, you know, before we talk about how, maybe we should talk about why. Why would you maybe want to do that? Or why could that possibly be interesting? And um, if it were possible to somehow do this, Then, one thing that could be interesting is that instead of having two things, you have one thing. (laughs) This is kind of nice. Um, I mean, in reality, you know, in the physical world, two cars, if I have two cars, that might be better than having one car. Um, (laughs) But on the other hand, um, I don't know, what's my, I'm lacking for an analogy here. Uh, If I have, you know, okay, sure, let's take the car analogy. If I have two cars versus one car, yeah, that's great. Now I've got two cars, I can. Drive. I mean, if it's just me as a driver, I guess it's kind of useless, but maybe I like to drive one car for one reason, one car for another reason, who knows. But but having two cars to drive, that's really cool and all, but I have to maintain those cars, I have to pay for insurance on those cars, I have to gas those cars. Now I have two things I have to deal with that's kind of a hassle. So simple, you know, simplify, right? Simplify. Simpler is better. Um, and, you know, regardless of how true that is in, in sort of everyday life, in code, Right. I don't think there's any question that's definitely better. Like, if you can, (laughs) generally speaking, if you can have something simpler, smaller, fewer moving parts, it's going to be better. There's just less. Target area for bugs and problems, less stuff to understand, less stuff to maintain. If you can put the things together, that's great. So that's sort of like general consideration for if I could put these put two things together, that might be better. Um, of course, I could just mash everything under the sun together, and that would be useless to be this like incomprehensible mess. But with if you have a program and a proof about the program, very typically, and you'll see this um, more so when you work on workout seven. Very, very typically, your Proof about your program really follows the structure of the program a lot, because you're trying when you're writing a proof about a program, you're trying to reason about its behavior. You're trying to say, well, you know, no matter what, you know, what inputs you give it or inputs that satisfy certain conditions, then it's going to do this following thing. So you're trying to reason about how the program behaves, and to reason about how the program behaves, uh, in general, you're going to have to. I mean, you know, the more you The more you, the deeper into the behavior of the program you get, the more you're going to have to consider all of its code. So, the more your proof is going to have to, just where your code said, oh, I'm going to do some case split and do some recursion, your proof is going to have to make, generally, it will end up making a similar case split and performing a similar induction to that, you know, similar to that recursion. So, the idea of internal verification is that you can kind of piggyback the structure of the proof on top of the structure of the program. Uh, and this could be a really huge win because it might happen that the property you're trying to prove about the function doesn't, um, you know, doesn't really need you to talk about every last thing the function does. You know, and when you combine these two artifacts, you can basically get a, func- a big old function with little bits of proof sprinkled inside of it. Whereas if you had two artifacts, you have a big old function. And you kind of would end up finding yourself generally forced to have a big old proof because it kind of has to mirror the structure of the code even though it's not really you know, saying or doing much terribly interesting with the structure of that code. Um, so, um, so proofs that are really quite similar to the functions that they're proofs about can profitably be overlaid on top of those programs. Now you know, again, this is all really general, and maybe too general. Maybe I should get into the nitty gritty of how you sort of do this, or or a little bit more examples. But I want to continue the general discussion just a little bit more, um, which is uh, now if you're going to tr- somehow layer a proof in some way on top of a program, well, there's a couple of things, a couple sort of points you you can't really avoid. One is you are going to be adding some stuff to your program, where your program just used to tell you what is computing now it's not only telling you what is computing but it's proving a little something perhaps about that thing that it's computing okay and so those proofs are even if they're even if you manage to keep it pretty under control and even if this internal verification technique helps you make the proof not be as big as it would be if you split it into a separate artifact still your code is going to get a little cluttered up a little or maybe even a lot cluttered up that could be bad that could be something you don't want to do so um, that's something to be we have to be aware of another thing is well if you do this once for one proof one property that you're trying to prove, I mean, how many times you're gonna to manage to do that, right? One piece with well, this poor little piece of code, you're gonna like slap all this proof on top of it. It's just gonna become so encrusted with junk that no one can read it. And it you know, so really this is the kind of thing you you can't really do for more than maybe one property of a piece of code. Okay. Um so that's sort of another caveat. And it, it means, you know, a lot of times for functions we're proving all, tons and tons of properties about them. Like basic list operations, we have all kinds of properties we might like to prove about the relationships between those properties. And you know, so that's not going to be a really great choice generally for um, internal verification because I've written this piece of code and I'm going to prove all kinds of stuff about it. I'm not going to layer all of those proofs on top of the function even if I somehow could. Um, and a lot of times it, it just doesn't make sense. For example, like take commutativity of addition, a very important property of addition, useful for you know in lots of situations. Well, there's really no way that you're gonna somehow layer the proof of that on top of the addition code itself. It just it's just not gonna work out. Um, I mean for one thing, the proof of that property we saw takes, you know, I mean the standard proof, the only proof I know for a language like Agda, takes three inductions. So That doesn't, you know, addition only makes one recursion, so that doesn't really follow the structure. Uh, I mean, all those inductions are following the structure of of the addition's recursion, um, but still, you can't somehow. You're going to find it more or less impossible to somehow cram all of those on top of the code for addition. So, algebraic properties where you prove something like yeah, associativity, commutativity of an operation. I'm not aware of any work that's attempted to. Do internal verification for those kind of properties. Those are the things you prove externally about those functions. So, um, so maybe it's a good, you know, having sort of posed some negative examples where you wouldn't be able to really do this. Let's let's talk about some examples where this this kind of thing shines. And the kind of thing it shines is, um, it shines with is, uh, sort of tracking properties of data. Uh, and so a, a classic the, probably the classic example of this is tracking the lists, the length of lists statically. So what does that mean? And the way people usually do this, and we'll see this in chapter five of the book, which I ask you to read um, for, uh, while you're working on workout seven and basically now, uh, instead of having a list type, people have a they call it a vector type. because in math, vectors, you know, have a specific length. So you know this is a vector vector of length ten or whatever it is, um, and so when you have a vector type, the idea is that the vector type, the type itself, tells you how long the vector is, uh, which is you know so a vector is just like a list, but the the type of a list is just you know list of a's, or a vector's type is going to be vector of a's. You know, like vector A10 would be the type for vectors of A's that are of length 10. And once you've decided to put the length as a property that you kind of want to track into the vector, all of a sudden, the vector type itself, all of a sudden, um, you can, a lot of functions that you would be writing on lists. Now you get this sort of more interesting typing for them when you write them on vectors. So, um, for example, the classic again, this is like the hello world of, of this of internal verification is vector append. So, say t- I just like list append. I've got two lists I want to glue them together. Here I've got two vectors and I want to glue them together. But vectors, the type tells me how long the vector is. So, say I've got a first vector of length um, k, and then I got a second le- vector of length m, or whatever, and I'm gluing them together, well how long is that resulting vector going to be? It's going to have length k plus m, right? First one was k, second was m, we're gluing them together, and so the, the length of the result is k plus m, and that's the type you give to vector append. You say vector pen takes in a vector of a's of length k, and a vector of a's of length m, and returns a vector of a's of length k plus m. And so right inside the type, you actually do an addition uh, so this is where this um, index typing uh, becomes, you know, really, um, you know, really shines. So you in in Agda and actually even in Haskell in some somewhat more baroque way, in in uh, Agda you have the ability to your types can contain program expressions, and so uh, when we do this, we have this vector type. We have a vector of A's, and the length is an actual natural number. It's an actual number that you could be programming with. and So you can do operations on that in the type, like adding it, these lengths. Um, So again, that's sort of the hello world. Vector pen taking vectors of length K and M, returning one whose length is their sum. And the, the type itself says you get back a vector of A's of length K plus M, which is pretty awesome. Um, and as you can just go through the list library, and we'll see this the next time I do a screencast. We'll start walking through um, the vectors in uh, the vector module in the Agda library. You'll see the basically, as you go through the various list functions that you're you know used to from something like Haskell, you um, as soon as you ex- expand them, you know, you sort of change your perspective to be working with vectors. You can give Really, quite informative and interesting types to a lot of these functions, that show you how the functions affect the length, or, or you know, of the of the inputs, or what's the relationships of the input and output lengths. And this is really pretty cool. And um, you know, so to take another example, like take map, right? We use map um, quite a bit in Haskell. Well, map, right? It takes an a to b function, and in, with for lists, it takes a list of a's and gives you a list of b's. Now. Um, something you could prove, and I think the Iowa Active Library does have this proof, um, about map on lists, you could prove that the length of a map, you know, length of the list you get by doing a map is equal to the length of the starting list, right? Because as you remember from Haskell where right, we draw these pictures, it's kind of like, you know, you've got this list of elements and you apply a function to each of those elements and build up the, the list of the outputs of the function. And so the 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 list you get from doing the map is exactly the same length as the input list. And we can prove that you know using external verification. We just write a map function on lists in Agda, and then we can prove by induction on the list that uh, map preserves length. That's fine. That's a nice example of external verification. It's simple. It's not hard to do. Internal verification, though, says the map on vectors now, it says it takes an a to b function and a vector of a's of length n, and it returns a vector of b's also of length n. So the type itself of the function shows you that the length is preserved. Okay. So again, internal verification, instead of having two artifacts, an append function and a proof um, oh sorry, I said append, a map function and a proof that map preserves length, we just have one function. We have a length preserving vector map function. So instead of two artifacts, we've got one. And you say, yeah, that sure, but if that one is just sort of like an ugly conglomeration of the two things you started with, that's no good, right? That would be true, um, but in, in a lot of cases, and the vector cases are like pristinely awesome examples of this, uh, in a lot of cases, it's not like that at all. And the, in fact, you don't have to really do anything different to your code. You just write this little more complicated type, but your code doesn't have to change a lick, because um, Agda's inference and the use of definitional equality quality um, are powerful enough that it, it, basically it can just tell that the f- code you were writing for lists, when you write essentially the same code for vectors, um, it can just see that, yeah, these relationships between the lengths hold. Um, it, I mean, we'll walk through the examples again with screencasts. It's actually really quite shocking. So not, not only have you kind of cut down your artifacts, but you basically have the complexity seems to have disappeared completely because the proofs of some of these properties, like the proofs of properties about length, follow the structure of the code so closely that when you overlay them on the code in this internal verification style, you they just disappear. (laughs) They're piggybacking to the point like they're instead of pigs, they're like fleas. I mean you can't even see them. They're just little (laughs) I mean there's really nothing there except in the the type. I mean the type you have to say something a little more. I mean, that's the whole point. You you want to say something a little more, so you have to actually go to the trouble to say it, and that that makes your type a little more verbose. But the code is exactly the same for a lot of these operations. We'll see other examples though where things do get um, do get more cluttered up, but and that's all. We'll see all that as we consider chapter five of the book. Um. So, yeah. So it's the idea of internal verification. Um, you know, another way you can come at it is by thinking about writing functions that just have richer specifications. And this this example with sort of like vector operations is a great example. So you just say, my function, you know, that worked on lists, my map function, it just said uh, list of A's to list of B's, but I know something more about what this function does, and I want to try to express that in the type, and so I can say that use the typing to say that, no, map takes a vector of A's of length n, and it takes its A to B function as well, of course, and it produces a vector of B's of that same length n. And so just the, f- the type itself is showing this property. And so I, d- I don't have to pose the property separately. Well, it's a theorem saying, oh, you know, when I do a map and then I call length, I've, I've got the same result as if I just called length on the original list. You know, There I have to pose this as a sort of separate property. As well as having a separate proof, but with uh, length-preserving vector pen, I'm sorry, length-preserving vector map, uh, this property is just expressed by giving sort of a richer type to the function. Um, so anyway, it's kind of a it's kind of a radical idea, and it's something that yeah, I think you could say is sort of enabled by the curry hard isomorphism because we to overlay the proof on the program, the proof itself sort of has to make sense as a program. I mean, if the proof were going to do some crazy thing that doesn't make sense in the programming language, but would be okay for a point of purposes of logical reasoning. Um, for example, like, if the proof were going to use some non-constructive choice function that just says, just pick me out of thin air some value that satisfies some condition. Right? And various logical mathematical theories have... Um, feature such operations. Well, that's no good as a program. You can't just be running a program and say, oh, please magically find me a value that solves this equation. You know, how can you, I mean, sure, you can find values that solve equations in some cases, but imagine you just had, you're going to invoke something that just says, yeah, yeah, if this if this equation has a solution, just please, just magically find it for me. And then I'm going to use that in my proof. You know, that's, I mean, that's fine, and perhaps that's fine in some forms of reasoning, but that's totally unacceptable uh, in, um, in a piece of code. So, but under the curry Higher Isomorphism, our constructive proofs, you know, we're working with constructive proofs, those are programs, and so we can overlay them on other programs in some cases, and it, yeah, it can have this sort of productivity benefit. Um, so, it's pretty cool, and it also has the benefit of making, establishing a property of your program. Uh, it it makes it closer to just more like more programming. Now, Curry Howard was already saying that writing proofs is just programming. But this is just saying, well, just write the program you were going to write. You don't have to go write off some other weird other program. Just write the program you're going to write, but let's just kind of keep track of some extra information in your code. And the compiler is going to check that information, and all of a sudden you'll have have sort of implicitly proved an interesting theorem about your code without ever having to explicitly formulate that theorem or explicitly prove it separately from your code. Um, so it's, it's a pretty great stuff. Um, actually, from a research perspective, I've been thinking about this and you know kind of how we could potentially expand on this kind of idea because it, it does seem pretty, pretty powerful. Um, but it does have some of these limitations that I was mentioning. I mean, for example, not, not being terribly reasonable to overlay more than one proof on a piece of code. So you kind of have to choose wisely. What you would maybe want to try to do, um, but some of them, for example, like lengths of vectors, that's a you know pretty central property, and it sort of makes sense that you might want to um, track that through lots of different uh, pieces of code. And it's also pretty easy to do, so it can it can help you at pretty low cost. Okay, um, I think that's all I wanted to talk about um, for now. So. Thank you for listening. I'll be releasing some screencasts to walk through some of this actual code instead of these sort of abstract generalities, but I hope listening to this is somewhat helpful as well. Okay, thanks for listening.